Cool Place for Film, the official Ice Cinema podcast. My name is David Carter, your host for this lovely podcast on this lovely, currently 52 degree day after slumming it through quite a few days of rain, but we've had a nice weekend so far. I'm hoping everyone has gotten out and gotten some vitamin D onto their skin, into their bodies, are feeling a little bit better, despite everything being pretty terrible. But to not dwell on that, the good news is I got to see a spectrum of erotic cinema this past week. I don't know. I really just wanted to highlight this. Past and future guest Jesse Balzer and Fun City Editions Heaven lightened me to the ways of erotic cinema in that I did recently watch a Hong Kong action film called Naked Killer that whipped about lipstick lesbian assassins who kill rapists and people who sexually assault women. Great, hyper-violent, so many canted angles, just very clean action, very much enjoyed it. I don't know. I highly recommend it, Naked Killer. And then uh, Fun City Editions, I had a seminal French softcore or erotic film called Bellitis with an all-star cast in front of and behind the camera. So, But I will save that for my physical media roundup, which should probably be out later this week. But that has been a ton of fun. And then I've also just, I hate to sound basic, getting ready for that new Batman movie. It's like three hours long. It's got a great cast. I like that director. The reviews just came in this afternoon. The people who I trust seem to like it. I'm excited to draw my own opinion on that. But it seems like, you know, I'm the first to talk about how tired I am of there being so much cape fiction taking up cinemas. My whole thing has always been from the very beginning. If we're going to make these, at least make them interesting or have a point of view or do something the last one didn't do. And granted, while this is still a Batman film that is kind of dark and dour, it seems to be as if they are leaning into a Batman who is, and I've seen this word used across social media from critics I trust, so I'm not using it flippantly, a very emo Batman. Uh, Here it's a lot of vibes. Here's a lot of crime solving. Here it takes a lot, (laughs) not unlike, I guess, Christopher Nolan's films, but it takes a lot from The Long Halloween, to me, my favorite and probably greatest Batman story of all time. But that's a conversation for a different type of podcast. But this is all to say, it looks great. Seems to, I look forward to a lot of people (laughs) thinking that David Fincher has a monopoly on rain-soaked, dark detective films, because this seems to be a rain-soaked, dark detective film. I, I think it's probably going something for something a little bit different, despite there being like a, a serial killer on the loose. Look, I've also complained about Colin Farrell as the Penguin, and we need more character actors, <laughs> even though Colin Farrell is kind of a character actor, but you know what I mean. I would like more character actors to pop up and play roles for people that look like them. I think it adds variety and spice to a film to have a lot of different types of looking people and not putting beautiful people in heavy prosthetics. It's kind of silly because we have people who look like this and are very talented but excited for batman can't wait to get out and see that this weekend and like i said please check out naked killer and belitis uh which were which were nice discoveries in my life enough of what i've been watching and what i'm excited for we need to get to an interview later in this episode with sex fest founder and programmer david church i have a lovely conversation with him about the offerings of sex fest and its history and its programming, and what it aims to do to bring sex-positive queer cinema to Bloomington and to audiences. So before we get to that, just a very quick upcoming schedule at the IU Cinema. 
and then we will turn it over to David Church talking about Sex Fest playing this week at the IU Cinema. On Wednesday, March 2nd at 7 p.m., $4 for students, $7 for non-students, we have Steven Spielberg's latest masterpiece, West Side Story. I've already gushed about this on a past episode when I was talking about the Oscars. I'm introducing this movie at the Ice Cinema this Wednesday. I promise it won't be crazy, but I'm very excited about this movie, and I'm excited for some friends to finally get to see this in a theater before it ends up on HBO Max, I think, the same day. Not quite sure about that, but I think it's coming streaming very, very soon. So excited that some people are going to get to see this on screen. And as with all in-person screenings, some things to note. Mask are required for all attendees and IU Cinema staff at indoor events. Due to our limited screening schedule and currently reduced seating capacity, we strongly encourage patrons to buy tickets online in advance to avoid getting sold out. And there are no standby lines or late seating. Directed by Academy Award winner Steven Spielberg from screenplay by Pulitzer Prize and Tony Award winner. The Kush, or as I, that's what I like to call Tony Kushner, uh, West Side Story tells the classic tale of fierce rivalries and young love in 1957 New York City, nominated for seven Academy Awards, including, and not nearly enough in my opinion, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Supporting Actress for Ariana DeBose's incredible turn as Anita, Best Cinematography, Best Costume Design, Best Sound, and Best Production Design. Some of those won't be aired during the Oscars this year, which is a bummer. This reimagining of the beloved musical introduces Rachel Ziegler, who's phenomenal, don't really understand that snub from the Oscars this year, as Maria, and also stars Hansel Elgort, Brian Darcy James, and Corey Stoll, with Rita Moreno in a new role of Valentina. Moreno, one of the only three artists to be honored with Academy, Emmy, Grammy, Tony, and Peabody Awards. We call that a P-Got in the biz. Also serves as one of the film's executive producers. This is in English and Spanish, and it contains a depiction of attempted sexual assault in a very pivotal scene, which I will let you, the audience, discover when you watch the film. And as far as that English and Spanish, it is only ever rarely subtitled in Spanish, something I would like to point out that became a weird controversy when the movie came out. But yes, people speak Spanish, and there are no translations on screen. I loved it. I think it's an excellent choice. I wish more movies would do things like that when you have bilingual speaking people because it immerses me more in the film. If I were listening to these people speak in real life, I wouldn't understand they were, what they were saying unless I'd learned how to speak Spanish. And if you do know how to speak Spanish, enjoy yourselves. You're getting probably some added layers to the film, which is wonderful. And as I said, that is going to be at 7 p.m. this Wednesday. Please be there. Like I said, I will be introducing and making my case why this might be better than Robert Wise's West Side Story. But <laughs> before, we get, before I get there, on Thursday and Friday, March 3rd and 4th, we have the Sex Fest Midwest program coming through the IU Cinema. I'm not going to belabor this at all because David actually goes through each of these individual programs and talks about what they are about near the end of our conversation. But just know that these are free but ticketed. The first two in the program on March 3rd and the 7 p.m. on March 4th, our shorts program. And the last program is a feature-length film. The SES Shorts Number 1, Carnal Delights, will be playing Thursday, March 3rd at 7 p.m. The second program, Holes and Holes, spelled two different ways, 
will be playing Friday, March 4th at 7 p.m. And the feature film will be playing Friday, March 4th at 10 p.m. And as I said before, these are all free but ticketed. And with that, we will turn it over to David and David at the movies to talk about Sex Fest Midwest 2022. So please join me there. Hi, my name is David Church. I'm in the Department of Gender Studies here at IU, and I'm also one of the co-founders of SexFest, the Seattle Erotica Cinema Society's annual sex-positive film festival. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's nice to have a fellow David <laughs> to talk to. <laughs> and also, once again, thank you for doing this on such short notice. I wanted to bring you on because I am very fascinated with sex-positive cinema, queer cinema, and so I just wanted to talk to you and let the audience know what Sex Fest is all about, why it has come to the Midwest. I know the S in Sex Fest stands for Seattle, so I'm interested as how it got here. But most importantly, how did this all get started and how did you get involved with it? Yeah, so I did my PhD here at IU and I graduated back in 2014. And around the time that I graduated, I was starting to work on a book project about the history and preservation of vintage pornography. And so I'd been doing a bunch of research at the Kinsey Institute while I was still here and you know, could access it easily. And so when I moved back to Seattle in 2014, I was working on finishing up the book and basically got in touch with the Seattle uh, International Film Festival to ask them, like, hey, are there opportunities to do some community education teaching uh, you know, during the evenings and stuff like that? And so uh, basically what I did was I pitched to them a six-week-long history of porn course uh, that would just be sort of a, a broad history of pornography from like the early stag films all the way through the present day. And basically, once that class was over, uh, a couple of the students, Deanna Berger and uh, Amber Adams, who were uh, in the class, they approached me and they were like, hey, we have these existing connections in the local film scene. They'd both been volunteers for the Grand Illusion Cinema, which is a volunteer-run art house theater there. And uh, they were like, hey, we, we have this interest in actually doing something with trying to get a, an annual sex-positive erotic film festival off the ground. Now, Seattle already had the Hump Festival and, and still has it, Dan Savage's Festival, which is mostly kind of like amateur porn, although there, there is some overlap between the, the filmmakers who submit to that festival and ours as well. But what we wanted to do was, because Dan Savage's Festival was largely just kind of like short films, I can't remember what the, his time limits are, like no longer than eight minutes or 10 minutes or something like that. But basically what we wanted to do was we wanted to expand the variety of, of forms of erotic cinema that were out there and not have it just be something that was run through that particular festival. And basically we wanted to, to kind of like tap into this gradually growing international circuit of porn-friendly film festivals, many of which sort of came out of or, or spun from festivals like the Berlin Porn Film Festival and things like that, which now has a, a whole bunch of different iterations, including a San Francisco-based one that just started this last year. Anyway, so long story short, we decided, hey, let's form this little nonprofit group called SEX for short, which is our oh-so-clever acronym uh, for Seattle Erotica Cinema Society. Be proud of it. I know. Be proud yeah. of it. <laughs> it's a little unwieldy since people see it and don't actually say it out loud and realize what it's supposed to be. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so 2016, we launched the first festival. And from there, you know, over the last five years, it's it's grown more and more. And, uh, you know, we held it at the Grand Illusion Cinema in Seattle every year, with the exception of the, the last two years, which were hybrid because of COVID. Um, but we were able the last two years to also partner with Pink Label TV, Shine Louise Houston's feminist porn platform out of San Francisco. So, you know, we're able to sort of like tap into you know this larger network of, of folks who are, you know, 
feminist, fair trade, queer porn producers who are trying to sort of get their work out there in a much broader way than it typically gets seen. And so how this got here to, to IU was last spring, I was teaching a grad seminar uh, on porn studies. And I gave my grad students the option that if they wanted to for their final project, they could basically serve on the programming committee for Sex Fest for the 2021 edition of it throughout the semester and then do a little write-up about the process of that at the very end. So I had a, a handful of students who joined on as part of the programming team, and several of them have since stuck with me and, and been like, hey, let's try to do something here at IU to actually show the, the sort of connection that we're making between the classroom and what we can do at the cinema. I'm kind of curious to stay on the topic of like the origins of it. How has it evolved between now and when it started back in 2016? And like, what have you learned in the process of uh, the last you know six years? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because when we first started, we weren't sure exactly what we were going to get as far as submissions. And, you know, it's strange because in some ways, some of the early films that we got were, I think, filmmakers who were trying to submit films that were about sex or that incorporated sexually explicit content, but were really just sort of framing it as far as like shock value, the sort of like horror imagery and and porn imagery colliding in the same film and people trying to sort of embrace kind of an extreme aesthetic. And we didn't accept most of those just because we felt that a lot of that didn't really fit the sex positive mission in a lot of ways. Also, one of the things that we've gradually done over the over the last few years is we've been a little choosier about some of the archival films that we show, because that's something that we also try to do as part of the festival. So if there are recent restorations of things that are, you know, notable older films, or films where we can get visiting filmmakers to come in and things like that. We try to, to make that sort of thing work. But there have been a couple of cases in the past, one in particular, where we showed uh, an older film from 1981 that included a, uh, a rape scene in it. And there was some you know pushback because we hadn't given enough sort of content warnings about that ahead of time. And even though it was framed as like a, a rape fantasy, it was still, you know, disturbing without some heads up. So, you know, in cases like that, what we found is that, you know, when we're taking older films that might be coming from, shall we say, a, a less enlightened time period, and then presenting those to audiences today, it, it requires a little bit more work or more setup, I think. But in general, what we tried to do is try to sort of like orient things toward toward a much more kind of sex positive variety of cinema. And also, we've really tried to work on embracing the, the sheer diversity of, you know, including kink, including trans and non-binary folks, including like a, a wider range of folks than you might typically see in the mainstream. Yes, I'm glad you touched on that because one of the things about sex positivity that tends to get overshadowed when people talk about it is that sex positivity includes the good, the bad, and the ugly, which there is no, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's just a cheeky way of saying like uh, everyone's sexuality is different. The way it is portrayed in arts, it, you know, there's such thing as artistic license. So not, it's fascinating to hear you talk about having to like navigate that. And do, would you find that when you do come up against something, you know, like you said, you had a film that was like a rape fantasy, which is a sexual kink that people naturally have. And so when you are looking through things like that, are there just... As you said, you do the work to alert the audience as to what they're about to get themselves involved into. But there are, are there things that you find that you and the other programmers tend to not want to even touch with like a 10 foot pole just because it's the amount of work you'd have to do to convince the audience to watch it isn't worth it? Or is it a, hey, we're just going to be open about this and put it out there for everyone to see and whether people enjoy it or not is up to them because they are the audience? Yeah, I mean... Obviously, we we don't allow illegal acts or anything like that involving minors or animals or anything like that. Oh, for absolutely. For obvious reasons. Yes. So yeah, everything has to be legal and consenting and everything between adults. But beyond that, we don't really set any specific parameters. 
And I will say that, you know, in this case where we showed this older film that had a rape fantasy scene, that's not the sort of stuff that you're going to see at, at Sex Fest Midwest. We've tried to make it pretty clear that everything in here is all very clearly consensual stuff, including films that have BDSM. Right. So obviously making a, a clear distinction for audiences that even though there may be, you know, things that might to sort of an outsider's perspective look like violence, quote unquote, it's all safely negotiated and, and something that everyone's on board with. Yeah, for, for us, sex positivity involves embracing a wide range of stuff, uh, including things that we as programmers might not necessarily be into ourselves. But we want to say, you know, if it's a if it's a well-made film that looks like people might find it erotic and artistic, then why not present it? So. I was a programmer for the Heartland International Film Festival in 2021, and we played a film by this director named Alex Liu called A Sexplanation, which is a film about America's relationship to being sexually open with each other and one of the things they talk about. Alex talks about when I got to do a Q&A with him is like this idea of people still being too uncomfortable even with their closest loved ones and friends to even sit and watch not even just pornography but sex scenes in like a public venue and so what i wanted to ask you is as someone who's been programming this for a while and like you know you can be as candid or as not candid as you want how has your relationship to viewing sexually explicit material with like your friends and loved ones changed over the years by essentially having a whole festival where you are just not forced to, but you are the expectations that you will go into a theater and you will be watching pornography with a bunch of strangers or friends? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm fortunate to have an, an open minded group of, of friends and partners who you know, realize and, and I think understand what I'm trying to do here. And, you know, having folks in the sex positive community, the kink community and so on, who are on board with with this has been something that I couldn't really you know, do this without. You know, at a certain point, you get sort of I don't want to say desensitized, but you, you get habituated to the genre in, in much the same way you would, you know, any other genre that you've seen a whole lot of. So, you know, for example, when we're in that submission period of the year where, you know, you're watching 20 plus hours of porn submissions, it can be a bit much at times. You know, ultimately, we we try to, you know, select the, the, the cream of the crop, really, and say, like, hey, let's give people films that we think, anyway, that an audience in a theater is going to sit through. And that's not necessarily the same thing as, like, what you would sit down to watch as, like, a porn film at home. So, for example, some of the films that we have submitted to us that we don't actually accept might be scenes that are interesting and kind of cool in their own right, but they just are too repetitive and just go on way too long. There's not enough narrative. There's not enough something going on to really hold people's attention for a long period of time. You know, those are the films that tend to be made by porn producers for websites, basically. And so we have to sort of gauge, like, you know, what do we think people are actually going to sit through as part of, you know, program of short films or something like that? What's going to be too long, too short, that sort of thing. And so making those sorts of, of judgments about, like, you know, what people will see in, in public and, you know, what will, will be an aesthetically pleasing experience overall is partly what we're up to. Um, you know, yeah, what, the programmer's dilemma. Yeah, yeah. And whether, you know, whether people find stuff erotic or arousing to them, that's always, you know, it's something we're sort of leaving in other people's court. Because obviously, when you're watching a variety of different forms of sexuality as part of like a shorts program or something like that, you're going to see some stuff that, hey, maybe it does it for you, maybe it doesn't it's always kind of a grab bag. And ultimately, what we try to do is we try to, to incorporate kind of a something for everyone type approach. So even if there's stuff that doesn't really do anything for you personally, hopefully the film will at least have enough aesthetically going on to, to make it worth sitting through. And in that regard, we don't we also don't make any sort of like artificial distinctions between like, hey, here's our, our queer program, and here's our straight program and, and stuff like that. We, we've always wanted to, to mix everything together. 
Well, speaking of not delineating things and still on the topic of presenting to an audience, do you delineate or where do you draw the lines for the difference between pornography and erotica and exploitation? Because I feel like those three genres of things kind of intermingle with each other and the lines get kind of hazy as to what is exploitation, what is pornography and what is erotica? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's a notoriously thorny question. And I mean, as somebody who has done a lot of work on on the history of exploitation cinema, as well as you know, horror films, pornography, stuff like that, like a lot of this stuff can get broadly lumped under the category of adult cinema or adults only cinema. You know, there's a history of trying to make distinctions like erotica is somehow gentler or it's non-explicit. So it's you know simulated, perhaps, and there's no like genital contact that's actually for real, that sort of thing. And, and that tends to be one way that some people distinguish between erotica and pornography. But frankly, I think that's not a terribly useful one in some respects, just because even if you have unsimulated, you know, real sex happening, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's unerotic or that it's, you know, de facto pornographic. And also by the same token, it's not necessarily exploitation or exploitative in, in any way as well. For me, I think the exploitation, when I think about like exploitation cinema, I think of it as a mode where it's basically like low budget form of film where you're relying on various forms of spectacle to basically bring in an audience because you have no other way to do so other than to try to like kind of overcompensate for the fact that you don't have a budget, you don't have stars, you don't have all these other things. You have these genre appeals based around spectacle and the taboo and you know timely subject matter and stuff like that to rely on. So obviously, yeah, there's a certain amount of overlap between exploitation films from the you know 1960s and, and 70s onward. So like the soft course exploitation films that started to come out around 1959 and onward. But then by the time you get to, you know, the, the legalization of hardcore content, so the unsimulated stuff around 1969, that's when, again, the sort of exploitation genre starts to shift over into what we would now consider to be more pornography per se. So pornography, as we think about today, it tends to have the, the connotation of being like hardcore, unsimulated sex. But I think to draw any sort of like hard and fast distinctions between erotica, pornography, exploitation you're just simply sort of like projecting backwards onto the this wider realm of adult cinema, a bunch of distinctions that aren't necessarily there. Great explanation. Thank you. So I'm kind of curious about the years of past programming you've had at SexFest, just meaning I'm always very interested in archival pornography, famously the I Cinema play Cafe Flesh back in like 2010 or something like that, 2011. Yeah, which I was, was, a I was great... the one who programmed that, in fact. You were the one who put, oh my God, it's, thank you. Uh-huh. Me, me and my friends, thank you every day. A seminal moment in our lives, being able to see Cafe Flesh at the Indiana University Cinema. So thank you for that. It's nice <laughs> to finally meet the person responsible. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and you know, there's other famous like archival pornography, like Taxi, Zoom, Clo, and I think Fun City Editions just recently put out Belitis, which is a, a lesbian erotica film that hasn't seen distribution for a long time. So I'm kind of curious about the things that have been programmed in the past at the festival and like just kind of curious like how they went over what it's like tracking down, you know, these materials. Are you are you projecting on 35 or are these all restorations, you know, things like that? Yeah, we, we've mostly worked with, you know, recent restorations. So they would be DCP or Blu-ray. And we've worked closely with Vinegar Syndrome a number of times. So especially when they were for sort of like, you know, getting going, because they, they got going around 2013, 2014. So it was kind of early years for them when we were getting the festival going also. So we, you know, we, we made some partnerships with them uh, pretty early on. And I think we showed uh, Matinee Idol was one. We showed Memories Within Miss Aggie. We showed Night Dreams, 
So from the same director as Cafe Flesh. Uh, and that's the one that had the, the rape fantasy sequence in it that we found problematic. At the, the most recent festival, we showed Altered Innocence's new double feature restoration of Fred Halstead's films, his films L.A. Plays Itself and Sex Tool, which are two films that are, you know, really early seminal gay pornographic works and ones that we have wanted to show at the IU Cinema, but have not necessarily been able to, to do so. There are things that we've, we've tried to get shown, you know, various places. And uh, ultimately, I, I, I think when it comes to, to restorations, though, Sex Fests back in Seattle is pretty open minded. It's not just like 70s stuff that they're showing. Um, they just recently showed the new 4K restoration of Short Bus, for example. You know, famous queer erotic works or things that uh, that they're also really interested in showing. So the last things I will ask you is for the audience who are interested in coming to Sex Fest at the cinema this weekend or this week into this weekend is, would you mind just kind of giving a Cliff Notes version of what they can expect from each of the three programs going into Sex Fest at the cinema? Uh, so there are two shorts programs and one feature film. The first of the shorts programs that's happening on uh, March 3rd is called Carnal Delights. And basically, this is sort of like our lighter themed program. So, you know, they're films that have to do with kind of like food and fun and and humor. And uh, they're, they're really quite, you know, lighthearted and, and, and uplifting in a lot of ways. So a bunch of just kind of like goofy, humorous films, uh, some that are more, you know, more thoughtful and, and meaningful as well. But it's kind of a, a good grab bag of stuff if you're, you know, if maybe you haven't seen a lot of erotic films before and you might want to go in expecting something a little, you know, just kind of fun and, and you know, nothing that you have to take too terribly seriously, I guess. And then that program concludes with a 30 minute long featurette uh, by Jennifer Lyon Bell called Wildcard, which is um, probably the most, I guess, conventionally straight film of <laughs> that we have in the whole series. But it's it's a, a quite a nice little film as far as like these two really attractive people of color who are having sex and, and doing so through this kind of improvised card game. And I think the film does a nice job of modeling affirmative consent as well. So it's a it's a pretty interesting film, and I, I think people will like it. The second bunch of short films is called Holes and Holes. So another terrible pun for you. Um, <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> it's, uh, it's not so much like the darker side of sex, but just kind of the more like serious and sober side of sex. These films tend to be a little slower, a little more thoughtful films that are kind of about like trust and transformation, healing, nature, kind of the, the bounds of the body versus the bounds of the universe. So there's a lot of like philosophical and metaphysical issues that come up in some of these films. And so, you know, they, they range from everything from like magical realist fantasies all the way through a film that uses, you know, a, a long act of, of oral sex as a way of like meditating about like the multiverse and, and stuff like that. It's a, a pretty kind of a wild program in its own right, but uh, a much more sort of like serious toned, uh, I guess, bunch of films thematically, rather than the first bunch of shorts. And then the concluding film is our, our one feature film. This was our, our prize winner for uh, the best feature film at the 2021 festival. And it's a, a French film called One Last Time. And this particular film is really, uh, really quite good. It's, it's basically in the format of a fake documentary. So like a mockumentary type thing that's being made about kind of an aging French woman who has decided to end her life. She doesn't want to get old and be discarded by society. She wants to end her own life and go out on her own terms, basically, while she's still able to. But before she does that, she wants to plan her last time having sex. And she wants it to be you know, as perfect as possible. It's this way to usher her out of life. And it's a really quite touching film where it's sort of her, I mean, 
making it sound a little flippant to say like kind of like a Goldilocks type search for the perfect time. But she goes through a number of different arrangements trying to find the right partner to be with to make it this this perfect last time for her. And so uh, even though the, the subject matter might sound kind of dark and grim, it's, it's really quite quite touching and sensitively done. And it's a really interesting film, too, because it is the, the return to screen for Brigitte Lahaye, a French actress who um, you may know from a lot of like Jean Roland's vampire films like Fascination. She was in a bunch of like Jess Franco's films, so like a bunch of like 70s Euro sleaze and, and adult films and stuff like that. But she's um, coming back to the screen in this film in a, a new explicit role. And it's, it's really quite, quite well done. All those sound great. So the last question I will ask you is, just let the audience know if there's any more information about SexFest, about these particular programs at the IU Cinema, where to follow SexFest, any and all promotion or information that you want to give to people. The program that we're doing here as SexFest Midwest is actually going to be shown back at, back in Seattle at the originary point uh, as part of their Best Of series. So we're, you know, the influence is kind of going both directions now. Um, and hopefully this is something that is, you know, if people show up and, and it becomes a successful thing, we're hoping to turn this into a touring program and actually be able to tour it you know, around the country much more widely. Uh, so this is kind of a trial run for us. But, you know, you can track what SexFest is doing at their website, which is sexfest.org. Yeah, you know, we're trying to stay as active as possible. But, you know, on a small and entirely volunteer run basis, um, there's only so much we can do. Oh, you're, you're telling me. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah, I know that you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on, David. It's been a pleasure. I'm sure this won't be the only time we have you back on. I've seen you introduce many films at the IU Cinema, so I'm sure at some point there will be something I'll pick your brain about and have you on to talk about. So thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for doing this. Thank you so much for that lovely and enlightening conversation, David. Uh, I cannot wait to have you on. And as always, just to shout out people involved with this podcast, I'd like to thank Brittany Friesner and Dr. Alicia Cosma for letting me do this podcast and the IU Cinema as a whole. I would like to thank Steve Alfred and the Rational Discourse for the use of our theme song, Chimney, off of the album Live at the Mothlights. I would like to thank you, the audience, for putting up with this goofy stuff that I release every week. And yes, I will be back next week with something. I'm not quite sure yet. We are heading into spring break. Uh, there was there is a long gap on the IU Cinema schedule between the last Sex Fest program and our screening on March 22nd. So we might be doing what we're going to call some David's Choice episodes. So look forward to that in the first two weeks of March. But this has been A Place for Film. We will see you at the movies. Good night. <laughs>